Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast, where together we weather the storm. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number eight, Girl Talk. Sometimes in life, we just need to talk to our girlfriends. Sometimes we just want to go to our best friends to get that insider perspective, especially on some of these really big personal moments that we have growing up, like when we start our period for the first time, or when we go out on our first date, or when we have a baby. We want to know specific things like, how does this feel? What can we expect? We just want that personal element told from somebody that we trust who has been there, who really gets it. And so we call our girlfriends. But who do you call when your best friends When they haven't actually been there, when they haven't experienced a cancer diagnosis, who do you call then? This episode, Girl Talk, is for all y'all out there who are needing to hear from a girlfriend. That's the point of this episode. And I'm very excited to have with me today one of my friends, Jenny Woodward. She is another young woman who's been affected by breast cancer. She's actually still in the midst of her own journey, traveling through treatment. And we were connected at the very beginning of her diagnosis and instant connection. We had that girl talk, that insider's perspective of what to expect when you go into surgery, when you have your drains removed, how to talk to your kids, the emotions, the physical pain. What exactly do you need to know? And she and I have had some incredible girl talk conversations of our own. And when we were on the phone several times, we're like, man, we, re- we should really bring this to other women so that they could hear this girl talk too. So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to bring some of the snippets of things that we've talked about for you guys to hear as well. Jenny is a young mother of two little girls. She had noticed an abnormality. She asked her healthcare provider about it and soon found out that she actually had breast cancer and that set her off onto her own journey through breast cancer. She is a very strong, courageous young woman, and I am so blessed to have her as my friend. She has always been upfront and told me like it is, the good, the bad, the ugly, and I love that honesty because being open and authentic is what girl talk is all about. Well, welcome, Jenny. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Uh, Let's start by, first of all, give us a little bit of background. How old were you at diagnosis, and how did you find out that you had it? Okay, so I was 34 at diagnosis. I'm still 34. This is all relatively new. But everything that led up to diagnosis actually started about two and a half years ago. I was at my yearly OBGYN appointment, and when they did the breast exam portion, a little bit of blood came out on Mm -hmm. one side. That had never happened before. It was kind of alarming to see. They sent me to get a mammogram pretty quickly, and it came back 
completely fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So my OBGYN referred me to a breast specialist who then sent me to do an MRI, um, bilateral MRI. And again, it, it was fine. There were no abnormalities. I was pretty much told you're young and um, this may just kind of be your makeup. It might have been something that happened during the exam that kind of caused that to happen. So we'll see you at 40. And then uh, about 10 months later, in 2017, it was in October, I woke up one morning with a couple of spots of blood on my shirt. It had never happened spontaneously before. And that was kind of something that they had mentioned that because it wasn't spontaneous, they weren't really they concerned. They weren't worried about it then. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when it did happen spontaneously, I called the breast surgeon back and just said, hey, this happened. They brought me in, did another MRI. I mean, not an MRI, another mammogram. Clear, you're good. We'll follow up in six months now. And so I had actually six months later, I think, canceled the appointment because nobody seemed terribly concerned. Imaging, now two mammograms and an MRI in showed nothing. Nothing really, nothing at all changed in those six months. But Thank God they called me and said, hey, we see that you canceled this. Let's schedule it to come back in. So I did. Went back in. That was just an appointment. And she said, any changes? And I said, no. It it had at that point only happened that one time. Um, And it had been months. And so she said, okay, we will do one more mammogram in six months. And um, we'll we'll call you good. You're, You're young. You have no risk factors, but we'll do one more to be safe. Right. That was the one this past February that caught this. That you were doing just to be safe. Yes. And then sure enough, surprise, surprise, there it was. Yes. They said there were new calcifications. So there wasn't even a tumor. And people always ask me, oh, did you find a lump? Well, I have extremely dense breasts. And so there was lots of lumps and they were all nothing. There was like lots of cysts and little growths and all of this. Yeah. So there wasn't anything that was was screaming out, hey, this is a problem you need to check. It was more of the circumstance of the the fact that there was discharge that led you into this series of events that ended up getting that final check where there it was. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I remember hearing because we have we met because we have a mutual friend mm-hmm. and um, my mutual friend had because she knew what I had been through that I had a cancer diagnosis and she told me she said one of my friends has just recently been diagnosed and I said oh my gosh give her my number let get me in touch and I remember not wanting to be like too pushy or overwhelming you know because you're people are dealing with a lot but on the same token I wanted to make sure that you knew that there was somebody out there that you could talk to as well and I remember talking to our friend about that and she didn't know how to handle it either like she mm-hmm. didn't want to be too pushy like connecting you with somebody but she didn't want to not offer it if it was something that would be helpful so I just wanted to ask you what was your initial impression of having that someone recommend you talking to me or talk to a friend that's been there yeah so I had told her about the mammogram and you know they didn't give me a diagnosis after the mammogram I didn't get the diagnosis until about two and a half weeks later when the results came back from the biopsy so she had mentioned to me listen if this doesn't go well I have a friend who's been through like the works and she shared with me your story and I thought to myself 
gosh, I really hope I don't need to meet her. <laughs> I really hope you have no reason to get it. Yes, hey, I get that. I get that. <laughs> and then when I found out, and she, she did, she sent me a message, you know, and it was very, I guess, you know, not forward or whatever, right? right? It was low pressure. She sent me a message and said, hey, do you want me to connect you with Joyce? And I said... Yes, please. <laughs> because at that point, you know, you're you're terrified. Right. I, I knew nothing. I was so intentional um, not to Google yeah, and I, I was freak the same. myself yeah, yeah. out. Google can be a scary place when there are so many different And you rocks. really don't know what you're nope. working with Yeah, yet. you don't. And um, history with anxiety, I'm not allowed to Google. And I told the nurse that when, when she told me hey, the mammogram's suspicious and all this. She tried handing me pamphlets, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to read those. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> and um, Stick them in a folder, I'll deal with that later. Right, so then all of a sudden it was like, okay, dude, I have to face this, and I do need to educate myself now. And so that was, like we've talked about, I mean, that was like a life raft for me. Of yeah. All of a sudden, okay, I have someone who is, is trusted that I can talk to that's not a doctor that's hard to get a hold of, that's not Google that's going to tell you all the horror stories. I have mm-hmm. a real-life person just to say, like, I've been there. Here's step one. Right. And that was huge, just having someone, anyone, because then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's, yeah, okay, I'm drowning, help someone. Right. And I don't know where to turn, and there's so many places you can turn. So Right. And I like to, and this is what I had told our friend, because she was like, I don't want to be too pushy, but I want her to know that you're there. One of the things that I like, so if if anybody out there is listening and isn't sure how to make that introduction, one of the things that I liked was when when I was going through stuff, one of my sorority sisters, she did a Facebook messenger where Mm -hmm. she, she had me and her other friend and her on it. And said, I just wanted to introduce the two of you guys. Mm-hmm. So-and-so is going through this. You're going through this. And if you guys want to talk to one another, here you go. And I liked that because it wasn't a somebody calling me at a time when I couldn't right. talk. It wasn't me having to pick up the phone and call in a time where I was drowning and stuff. And I, I just couldn't get mm-hmm. to the phone number. It was just this simple... Here's this connection right here. Very right. low-key, non-pushy, but still available. And I think that it is important for people to know that there are other people that have been there and done that and you can talk to them and it does mm-hmm. it does help. Mm-hmm. It helped me when I went through it too. And to talk when you're ready. So that's right. what our friend did for us too. It was a message and so I didn't have to respond right then. Mm-hmm. But once kind of the initial emotions calmed down and I was ready then ready, mm-hmm. it was very easy too. Right. Mm-hmm. So we talked on the phone. We talked, I think we talked on the phone a couple of times, and then finally, right before you're getting ready to have surgery, mm-hmm. we're like, let's meet. Let's, we'll, we'll sit down, we'll talk, we'll have coffee, and we'll chat it out. What do you remember most about that day that we met for coffee? <laughs> for one, we had spent, not just we had chatted on the phone, you had spent hours with me on the phone Aww. on more than one occasion. So it was kind of funny that... It was technically our first time meeting face-to-face, right? Right. So I already felt like I knew you very well. You had already become a very important person in my life. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, now I'm seeing her for real. Yes, yeah. I had, a, I had a friend like that, too, when I was going through it. And, she, well, she, she and I, we were going through it at the same time. She lived up in New England. Like, I wow. never got to actually meet with her. I just spoke with her. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until after we were both done with all of our treatment that we went out to San Diego and did the walk. That's so, cool. 
Yeah, so it's good to talk to somebody, and it is even better when you can meet them Mm face-to-face, but it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's right there, too. Just somebody Mm -hmm. that gets it. Yes. Okay, let's talk about some of the physical hurdles that somebody has to go through when dealing with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. There's surgery. Now, there are two kinds of surgeries, lumpectomies and mastectomies, and you and I, we both had the same kind of surgery. We both had a bilateral mastectomy. So in regards to that surgery, that's what we can talk about because that's what we've experienced. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell women that they can be expecting physically? What's like one thing that stands out? So, okay, so I'm like real talking here. <laughs> okay, one thing honestly that stands out, I knew it would be painful. I knew it would be hard. I knew it would be a road to recovery. There is nothing that could have fully prepared me for the first three days. The first three days were just harder than I expected, honestly. Physically? Physically, yes, physically. I knew that I would be weak, but when I was in the hospital and they got me up to walk for the first time, I started to pass out. I didn't I knew I'd have a catheter, like this goes with surgery. I didn't know it would still be in yeah. and that they wouldn't take it out until I could walk. Oh, um, see, I don't, I don't remember that part. Oh, But I do remember, I do remember throwing up yeah. because, um, because after having been out on the, you know, the good anesthesia drugs that had me knocked out so that I didn't know what was happening during mm-hmm. surgery, getting them all in and out of my system, that. Mm-hmm. I remember feeling like I was going to throw up and making the motions like I was but nothing actually came out yeah. but um and then going home like that that car ride home physically was hard it was and you were ready for a nap hard. too by the time you get there like I was, was exhausted I didn't feel like I should be going home I mean I just I was overwhelmed right and and physically every bump in the car yeah you feel even though you have the pain medicine mm-hmm. even though you have the pain medicine and even though we had talked about putting a pillow that and protects I had a you pillow. yeah yes. and, but you still mm-hmm. i remember what i remember about going home is they wheel you out in the wheelchair that's part of you know hospital protocol whatever and my husband had pulled up the car and i had to get out yes. and get into the car yes. you cannot for somebody that hasn't gone through this yet you cannot use your chest muscles mm-hmm. at all it's not just you can't use your arms. You cannot use above your hips, right. torso, at all. We'll yes. try getting up out of a chair without doing that. Like, it requires mm-hmm. your legs and mm-hmm. your core. And, like, if you're sitting back in a chair to try to wiggle towards the front, like, that was painful. Mm-hmm. Standing up on my own to... Cause, and, and yes. like, people would try to help me by grabbing my arm. Right. No, don't do that. <laughs> yes. Don't touch me. <laughs> right. Because and even this happened when we were trying to walk in the hallway, like, trying to lean on Brian. Mm-mm. Mm. Mm-mm. Right. Because that puts um, weight in the wrong places yes. on muscles that you just don't have ready yes. to use. I remember even um, laying down in the hospital bed and going to lift my head to drink water. Lifting my head up hurt. Yeah. Not my body, just pulling my head forward. So all this to say, physically, those first three days were really hard. And I think that um, I just assumed the pain medicine was, I don't know, going to yeah. be a lot awesomer <laughs> than it was. And I mean, it, it did its thing. But even that, like, I hated taking that. It just made me so dizzy and Loopy. so out of it. Yeah. And I just I didn't like being on that. But all that to say, once day three was in the books, everything since then has been a lot easier than I expected, right? right? So I think that if I would have known, okay, three days, like three days, and then there will be a turning point that it might have been 
easier mentally on those right. three days. But come day four, I remember I got up and I brushed my teeth. The big things we get excited for, right? I was like, well, I must be feeling better now (laughs) because I brushed my teeth today. That's right. That's right. And everything since, honestly, truly has, it's, I mean, it's been small improvements every day, but improvements I can see and I'm aware of, like brushing your teeth, like when I put on eyeliner. Do you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. These these little things. I couldn't in the beginning, and I know we had talked about this. Because I couldn't bathe, like you, because right, you come right. home with drains, which we'll talk about those fun, fun little <laughs> grenades here in a second. But when you when you come home, you can't shower right away until they remove those. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like the icky, stinky kid, and mm-hmm. that just really bugged me. And I wanted my hair clean, but I couldn't even reach my hand. So we my, we had gone and had somebody wash it for me, which was life saving. Made mm-hmm. me feel like a whole brand new person. But then even once I got you know, a little bit more mobility of my own and I could touch the top of my head to wash it, it was not easy. Yes. That first shower mm-hmm. was not relaxing. Mm-hmm. It was hard. Yes. I made Jake get in the shower with me and rinse the top of my head. And oh, like, that would have been smart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should have done that. I'm like, could you just, just scratch the top of my head under the water, please? Yeah. And, uh, I was trying hot. to like turn my body to get in like these weird positions so that I could get the top of my head because I couldn't and then what I forgot was the cardinal um hair rule when washing your hair don't let soap get in your eyes (gasps) yeah that didn't work out too well for me having your husband do it that was that was a great idea (laughs) okay so tell me about the drains how would you describe those lovely items goodness um you know, I was really nervous about the drains going into it. So I I don't like medical stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So sucks having breast cancer, <laughs> right? Right. So just medical stuff makes me uncomfortable. Uh, and I was very nervous about the drains going into it because it just grossed me out, yeah. honestly. It's like, yeah. how am I going to have these hanging from my body and not just pass out every time I look at them? Right. And for those that don't know what they are, the drains, they're little grenade tubes that that they insert after surgery, and they put them into cavities so that when fluid and stuff starts to build up, it has an escape. It's not going to build up yes. in your body. It can get out of your body, which is good. We want that. But then you're responsible for draining and measuring the amount of shit that oozes and Mm -hmm. um and then it eventually dies down but Mm -hmm. anyway go ahead go ahead yes so i left the hospital with two drains on each side so a total of four drains and so one thing i was really worried about was i don't understand how these are going to be inserted into my breasts hanging out of my body and there's like the bulb on the end of it how is that not going to be so excruciating and just pull out right yeah well, so they send you home in a surgical bra that does, you know, hold them in place. And the one they sent me home in had these little Velcro straps at the front that I could hang the little bulbs off of. Right. So the the tubing that goes, you know, from my breast down to the bulb, it wasn't like pulled tight or anything, right? right. It's kind of, it's hanging. So it wasn't right. pulling on me. So it wasn't mm-hmm. painful unless someone did accidentally get too close and pull it. And so that was something I was always very careful of, kind of just kept my little bubble. My like, bubble. No one get near me. We have a dog, and he likes to jump, so he was a little bit banished for a while there. Yeah. Um, it was definitely keep him away from mommy at right. all costs. And with the kids, we had to do fairy kisses and, like, mm-hmm. hand hugs, where we would just, like, give each other a little handshake kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So back to your question about the drains. Yeah. What was the question? (laughs) No, I was just, you did a good job describing the drains, but kind of moving on now. When they remove the drains, okay, so that's, we talked about like, you know, what do you remember of the drains? They were, they were definitely awkward and, you know, they were held together by like a single stitch or something like that. Yes. And I should, and talking about emptying them every day, right? Okay, so... In the hospital, the nurse drained them, and they record how much drainage because as the days go on, the drainage goes down, right? There's less and less of it that you have to empty, and that's kind of their signal. That's how they know when they can be removed, right, Right. when it goes down enough. So um, my husband did so fantastic. He also gets really uncomfortable around medical stuff, and he told me from the beginning, I can do this. I can I can step it up. And he sure did because yeah. he'd have to change, change them. Brian did it for me you know, too. A few Life times saver. a day and then down to two times a day towards the end. It was fantastic. Yeah. And then once the amount of liquid slows down and you are, then you go to the doctor and they're going to remove them. Mm-hmm. For me, this is how the best way that I can able I'm able to describe it. First of all, the tubes that go into it's kind of would you say like the diameter of a straw? Straw, yes. Yeah. yeah. So the diameter of a straw going in, sliding into your body. Now it's been there for a few weeks, so imagine the kind of stuff that's wanting to stick to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the nurse would tell me, "Okay, now take a deep breath." And then I did, and they yanked it out, like yeah, quickly. Ouch. Yes. Ouch. And it wasn't quick enough because I felt like it kept coming. <laughs> like, uh-huh. how long is this? Oh, yeah, there's a little off? after yes. wave, yeah, that you feel. Yeah. And then they went over to the other side. Okay, take a deep breath. No, thank you. <laughs> Last time you said to breathe, it brought me pain. I will not be doing it anymore. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> so that was incredibly painful for me. But the relief yeah. that you experience after mm-hmm. they're removed, like you just feel like it, I felt like I could breathe better. Yeah, I felt like I could do everything, but yeah. Yeah, like there's just this whole new uh, set of freedom. I will say something you told me before surgery really helped me with the drains as well, and that is okay. Just look at each each experience, each hoop, each painful experience, even as you are one step closer to to being done with this. Exactly. And so that's what Jake actually. I shared that with Jake that you had shared it with me, and he reminded me of that. Come drain time, you know, Aww. we had been focusing on that day of surgery. But then when it came time for the drains, he's like, listen, you're, just, you're almost past this. And yeah. it was hard. You know, I, I expected pain the first time around. But the first one came out, and it was about what I expected. The second one came out, and, like, my whole boob hurt. Like, yeah. For, like, a little while. This, I don't know what it was about that second drain. It was just excruciating. So then, you know, you get the first round out, and then you just have one on each side. Right. For another however long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went back to get the last two removed, yay, I was excited because uh-huh. after I did this, I'll be drain free. I was m- so much more terrified of the pain, because you though, knew because the pain. I knew it. Because you knew it. Yeah, so I was like, I, want, I don't want to have these. No, they can just leave them in forever. I don't want them <laughs> to come. I don't want to get them taken out. But I mean. And I kept thinking of yeah. a shower. I can finally have a shower. I can finally have a shower. And, you know, truth be told, those last two actually didn't even hurt that bad. Maybe because I had built it up so much in my mind then. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very freeing afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Definitely freeing. Mm -hmm. Now, we've had a lot of great conversations and have had this, like, instant sisterhood connection. It's not a sisterhood Mm -hmm. that anybody wants to be a part of. (laughs) 
Never. Like you said before, you said it so perfectly. I hope I never meet her. <laughs> yes. I I have this out there for everybody else listening that I hope you don't have to meet that mm-hmm. person to talk to. But, um, but I am very blessed and very grateful for having you. Okay, so in regards to cancer prior to surgery, I have three things that I would recommend to people. What are... What are some of the best, most helpful pieces of information that you would recommend to somebody that's getting ready to go through it? Either prepping for surgery or things to do for themselves right after surgery or... Are you talking specifically physically, emotionally, all of the above? Um, I guess, I guess, well, emotionally, I would just wrap that up for the moment and say I recommend carving out that space, mm-hmm. finding somebody that you can go in to talk to whether you think you need to or not. Yeah. Find yes. a therapist and say, I have this going on. Are you able to talk to me? And go and talk to them prior mm-hmm. to your surgery so that you know them, they know you, they know what the heck is going on, and then that space is available. You don't have to find it mm-hmm. when you're in your low. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about that emotional piece here in a few minutes. But I guess I'd say that in terms of the emotions, but in terms of f- physical. Physically preparing mm-hmm. for surgery. Okay. Definitely getting button-down shirts. My mom was fantastic. She she collected all of that for me. She yeah. went to some thrift stores and uh, found me some really cute button-down shirts and ordered me some skirts. That was yes. something that you had oh, suggested, yeah. and that was fantastic. Skirts are easier than buttons and tight leggings and all right. these things. When because that requires more your mm-hmm. arms. Right, yep. yes. So that was huge. Setting up the time to get my hair washed. Right. Ponytail fund. Yes. Huge. Ponytail fund was... That was huge. Especially for people that are having this surgery done. If you're having a bilateral mastectomy done mm-hmm. prior to, like, let's say you need chemo. If you have long hair and you're having a bilateral mastectomy done, you're going to need somebody else to do it. You're mm-hmm. just not going to be able to. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I don't I don't know about you. I don't know if this is weird about me. But if I don't wash my hair for a couple days, my head gets, like, itchy, right? It's so uncomfortable. And so I was like... Desperate. Yeah. I felt like a dog with fleas. I was so <laughs> ready to get my hair washed. And it felt so fantastic. I just felt like a I new did. person. I felt human again. Yes. Like, yeah. When I did. Another thing, you know, I had a friend setting up meals who set mm-hmm. up meals to be brought in, you know, starting a few days after surgery. And that's been huge because I am uh, six weeks out tomorrow. And I am just now at the point where I feel like my arms work enough to make dinner. Right. And even now, I'm at the point where it's like, okay, I can totally cook. Grocery shopping, though, I oh, still God. have a hard time with that darn cart. Like, yeah. you know? I had to go for my kids at school. They were doing something that required me to get a two liter of soda. Oh. Two liter of sodas are at the very top freaking shelf, and they're heavy. Right. <laughs> I had to beg somebody to put that in the cart. I right? can do it. Well, you know, I actually, I went to Walmart the other day, and I'd been so careful not to pop, like, the back trunk because mm-hmm. I know it's hard to close, and I forgot, and I was almost stranded, and I found a nice woman and said, hey, this is really weird, but can you come close my door for me? Aww. And she yep. did, and it was wonderful. Aww. But um, You gotta ask for help, too, when you need, when you need it yes. like that. Another thing I did, this is gonna sound so random, but I hadn't seen it anywhere else in like all of my preparations, but paper plates. We don't normally use paper plates, right. and I bought the biggest stack right. I can find. That's a good point. And it was wonderful, and, yeah. and that's all we've been and then, using, and I love the planet and everything, but but you asked, I didn't need one more thing. No, yeah, Dishes yeah. weren't gonna happen. Right, so. right, right, exactly, exactly. That was another preparation. So going into surgery, I know I told you this 
like a big trigger point for me is that surgery room mm-hmm. because I was the idiot that looked around because I guess I was trying to soak up everything so that I could I could I don't know what the heck I was thinking <laughs> I was scared I don't know I'm just looking around the room and and the thing is is I remember everything I remember way more than I should and that mm-hmm. causes me a lot of problems and it's kind of a big trigger point for some PTSD-like symptoms that I have as a result. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that as I was going into my second surgery, somebody finally told me, which was huge because that surgery doesn't bother me at all anymore. And I know mm-hmm. I passed this along to you. They told me, don't look around, Joyce. Just look at this one nurse. You're going to be afraid and you're going to have to get yourself up onto that table, but you focus on one person and mm-hmm. you get all the details about their face all the details about their life history, anything and everything that you can learn from that one person. And I know I told you that. Yes. And you did that. Tell me about that. That was the most fantastic piece of advice because, and you know, when you first told me that, I was terrified that I knew that I'd have to put myself on the operating table. And it was like, oh, I wish I could go back and not know that. But at the same time, Now, after the fact, I am so glad I did because I did take your advice um, and I was surprised because they give you like all that feel good, happy, chill medicine before you go in. But I was still incredibly lucid and I still still Mm -hmm. remember everything. So thank God I didn't look around because all I remember, and I remember great detail of that nurse. Her name was Lauren. She was standing at my head. She played the theme of Rocky from Rocky for me. Yeah. She had a dimple on her right cheek. Yeah. And do you know all these things? And I remember uh, lights, lights above me. Above me, there were three, you know, large round details. lights, and mm-hmm. I counted, and there were twelve, and some were blue, and some were white. And so these are the things, things I remember because I was very lucid, but yeah. because of where I focused, I don't have traumatic. You don't have the traumatic things memories. That I remember. Yeah. Yes. So focusing on those one things, and I think t- too because it's going to take them a minute. You have to get onto the table, and then the anesthesiologist ha- they got to get y'all hooked up. That's mm-hmm. going to take a minute, mm-hmm. and then the anesthesiologist has to get to you before they can knock you out completely. Right. And so in that time, when your heart is racing and your mind is going, what's happening? And you're so terror struck if you mm-hmm. can control your brain to go think about these things and, right and fill your mind yeah. with this stuff then it it makes the rest of the room drown mm-hmm. drown away mm-hmm. okay so parenting how did you explain things you have two little girls how old were yes. they eight and five eight and five so they were little like mine how did you explain things to them well that first conversation was hard and I think that initial hearing the diagnosis, hearing the confirmation of you have cancer over the phone from the radiologist, that was the hardest part for me in all of this. That first 24 hours, I was just a wreck. And that's when we told them, honestly, um, not in the midst of me being a wreck. I pulled it together. And Jake and I just kind of called them over and said, hey, you know, we need to fill you in on some stuff. And I think essentially we told them mommy has a naughty booby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. mo- mommy has kind of a, a broken booty, booby. There's something in there that's that's Needs not to supposed out. to be. And yeah, I'm going to have to have some surgery. It's going to come out. And were you surprised at how they took it? I know I was surprised, but mine were mine were four and five when I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so I told him something similar. I told him that I had a boo-boo and that it wasn't the kind that I could take care of, that the doctors had to take it away with surgery mm-hmm. and that grandma was going to come and take care of them. 
And I was immediately greeted with cheers. Grandma's coming! <laughs> like, they didn't... It didn't yeah. click what was happening. Now, they didn't know the name. They didn't know at that point that it was cancer. And even when I did tell them, they hadn't heard of that yeah. before. So, I had to use the C word because when I went to my biopsy, my eight-year-old, who's very perceptive, and I don't know if she heard us talking or if just the word cancer was already on our radar. Um, You know, we paint these little rocks, Mm -hmm. yeah, little kindness rocks. I don't know. People do it. Trendy thing, whatever. And you hide them places for someone else to find. Okay. So we had painted some of those rocks and she had told me, mommy, why don't you take one of these rocks and hide it at your doctor appointment today? Because you're just getting a checkup, but somebody else there might have cancer. Mm. And so... It was I already. I don't her. know if she overheard something, if that was just already kind of on her radar. Either way, I knew she was going to hear the word cancer now that I had to hear the word cancer. And mm-hmm. so I did, um, after we kind of explained, you know, mommy's got this little situation, we need to take care of it. I did say, this is a word you're going to hear people say, so I'm going to tell you what it is, because people are going to probably say this word to mommy in front of you, but the word is cancer. And basically, it's just something that is in your body that shouldn't be, and we're going to take it out of my body. Right. And, you know, neither one of them cried. Neither one of them showed any emotions. They went and ran and continued playing in the backyard. But I was worried about the older one specifically because she tends to bottle up her emotions. And so a friend of mine had an awesome suggestion and that was to have a journal that was just between her and I that is so sweet I love that idea yes and so that's what we did and I talked to her I said hey here's a journal it's just for you and me to write notes back and forth we picked out together our secret hiding place for it that you know daddy and Ivy didn't know where it was where it was this was our spot we even made a little um flag a little marker that we'd velcro it outside the door of the closet it was hidden in um if either one of us wrote in it so the other person would know to check it and i told her anything in here we don't ever have to talk about it can just be written so you can write anything in the world in here and you know the notes started out just silly simple superficial and then i had a a doctor's appointment one of many and she afterwards wrote in it mommy had at the doctor's appointment go and so that gave her a way to kind talk of to that you. outlet yeah. yeah she never asked me we never talked about the doctor's appointment but we wrote about it and I reassured her like baby it's okay it went great God is gonna heal mommy and um yeah you know not that everyone gets healed but yeah, my prognosis in my case is good. You were know, able fantastic to... and so I, I was able to reasonably reassure her of that right such a good idea I like that yeah I might be stealing that when they get into like adolescence too. right like, yes yeah. such a good idea well and the friend who suggested it she has a 12 year old and that's what yeah. they've done and it's just it's worked great oh yeah. I love that love that idea yeah Okay, let's switch now to talking, you know, from the physical hurdles and talking more about some of these emotional ones. Anxiety. That is something that I know we've talked about that both you and I have wrestled with Mm -hmm. to some degree. Me, it's kind of surfaced after surgery and treatment. I've never been anybody that's really had anxiety, at least not that I knew of, but it has been really hard. Like I said, having some of this PTSD stuff afterwards. I don't want to go to the doctor. Like I freak when I think about my cancer and what I went through, or I think about going to the doctor, I lose. I it's just overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. But when we talked, you said that for you it was an issue that you had prior to cancer. How do you feel that that has prepared you, if at all? So honestly, 
two years before this, I went through a pretty serious, in my world, anxiety crisis with panic attacks. And, you know, I had a lot of misconceptions. I thought panic attacks are when you kind of work yourself into a tizzy and freak out. They are not. (laughs) They can actually come out of the blue for no reason with no real thought process leading up to it. They're very physical. It, it, It can feel like you're having a heart attack. You can feel short of breath, all of this. So these are things I went through two years ago. And I realized, you know, at that point, anxiety, Anxiety was something that I struggled with off and on to varying degrees my whole life, I think. I didn't recognize that, you know, until the more recent years. But all that to say, it was at that point that I reached out and sought help with dealing with it. I saw a counselor for the first time in my life. That was so humbling. It felt humiliating. It wasn't because... Right. Nobody there's, knew. There but. seems to be this a lot of shame that's still out there when people yeah. think that they that they're going to see a therapist. And yes. and the reality is it shouldn't be there. It like, shouldn't. Um and and now I will tell anyone and, and anyone I'm the because same way. Mm-hmm. it was so helpful and so freeing. But Jake, my husband, really helped me because he was the one who picked up the phone and made the phone call for me. He was the one who drove me there the first time. So all I had to do was be willing and show up. And then once I had that first appointment, it was so helpful. And I heard things and learned skills and had tools that I didn't have prior. I never had a full-blown panic attack again after I, and I still haven't, right. through cancer, after I so you learned, went to counseling. You learned these strategies and tools because you had experienced anxiety before and had gone to therapy and learned those strategies. You had the tools yes. so that when cancer hit, you were able to apply them to yes. the situation. Correct. I 100% believe that that period of my life prepared me for this. And I shared with someone the other day who has struggled with anxiety and depression that was harder for me, that anxiety crisis, than cancer has been, right. which is absurd right. um, to think about. But that's how serious that side of things can be. And I did have the benefit of addressing it all when it was just that and cancer wasn't at play and there wasn't right. all this high-risk stuff. Do you right. know what I mean? Right. And so I did. I, I feel like that really prepared me where, yes, cancer is scary. And obviously I've had a lot of emotions and a lot of highs and lows and moments of anxiety, but I had those tools in place already. I right. had, I had what I needed to process it a little better. Right. And, and that doesn't mean that like, not, you know, it might not be worth going for refresher courses <laughs> in the midst of this, but having that toolbox that you can go to mm-hmm. and go, okay, I need to do grounding. I need to do, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it was that the strategy was that you learned could be incredibly helpful. Yes. And I actually did. So, you know, that was for a couple of months I did counseling two years ago and then I hadn't since I hadn't struggled at all with anxiety once I kind of got that under control back then. And then with all of this, I have preemptively set up a time to get to start going back to counseling. So I already had my first appointment last right. week. And again, it was it was nice to be able to go in not in crisis mode um, because I could think a little clearer. Right. Um, and I, you know, I talked to the counselor about, I'm kind of doing this preemptively because I know I'm going to have some stuff. I've been in this like get it done adrenaline mode for so long. And now that surgery is done, now that I'm sort of healing and we're talking about next steps, I know there's going to be things to process that I didn't have the time to process before right now. That was a thing that happened to me. And I I was going to therapy 
and I, I started going kind of right around the beginning of my diagnosis and I was on crisis management mode mm-hmm. Joyce it was I gotta do this I don't have time I and mean, it's not that I wasn't sad and it's not that I didn't feel emotion it's just they didn't wash me to the ground like they didn't knock me over to the point that they did afterwards and that mm-hmm. was shocking mm-hmm. because afterwards when they hit I was just I wasn't expecting it right I wasn't expecting it to hit that. And I thought that I had to stuff it down more because I shouldn't feel this way. Mm-hmm. I should feel differently is the layer of expectations that I put on myself after I had already been through it. Which kind of magnifies it, right? Yeah. When you're trying to stuff it down, when you're not addressing it, when you're not getting help for it, it it almost gives it more power in some way. That's right. when I went through my anxiety crisis. I was doing a lot of suppressing and trying to ignore it and trying to manage and cope. And it made it so much harder because I put this thing on myself that I can't let anyone know. Right. And it just and the it moment, somehow magnifies it. Right. And the moment that you realize that that is okay, mm-hmm. then it does. It takes a weight off and then you can yes. actually focus and on heal. it. And heal. And heal, exactly. Mm-hmm. So tell me the moment that you saw your scars for the first time. Mm. How did that go down for you? <laughs> so okay so this is actually kind of humorous because um you know you and I have the same plastic surgeon and so you know he yeah. is he's just so wonderful he's been such a yes. bright spot in all of this because love him he just had he's just such a character in a lot of ways that um it takes some of the the gravity out of the situation yeah. so I will never forget the morning after surgery he comes in and the surgical bra is just velcro down the front and I have it in my mind that like with one hand he comes in and he just like pops it open (laughs) and it's like so dramatic and that was my first time seeing that and all of a sudden he gets kind of serious and he's looking at my chest and he's like "Mm, I'm sorry but they're gonna look even better than they did to begin with (laughs) and it was just like such a moment that I'll never forget and I looked down for the first time and I was like huh (laughs) <laughs> okay, this is the first time I'm seeing them. All right. Like, yeah. And, you know, I, I knew what to expect as far as I knew it was going to be horizontal scars, like, right. right right, right across the front. You know what I mean? I and, love our uh, doctor. He's great. He's so wonderful. Yes. Um, and I have to say, so, I mean, it, it, it's kind of scary looking. Yeah. But, um, but about four weeks out, the, like, so there's glue, right? So I guess there's, like, layers of stitching, but you don't see any stitches. And then it was kind of like scabbed, right, mm-hmm. along the incisions. It was like a really bad scraped knee or whatever, just scabs and covered by glue. So it just kind of looked the same for weeks and weeks right. because the glue is holding everything on. But around a month out, the glue started peeling off and with it, the scabs. And what was underneath the scabs is not nearly as horrendous right. as I expected. I was actually so pleased and I still am yeah. with how not gross it looks yeah. you know it just looks so much better I love than I expected I love mine he did a great job yes he really did a great job yeah and I I mean it was hard for me when I when I saw them for the first time mm-hmm. that was definitely emotional because I was I, I don't remember seeing them when I, I'm sure maybe I did in the hospital but I don't remember any of that mm-hmm. first time I remember it was pretty emotional when I was at home but you're absolutely right once the glue comes off it it really doesn't not look that bad now I didn't it's an adjustment learning that I didn't have nipples anymore like those were gone that was an adjustment to see and then I think another layer of adjustment for me was that like I can't 
feel them. Like, right. it's it's better now, like, as time has gone by, I don't know if my brain's just made different connections somehow, making it feel as if I can feel them. I, I, I don't really don't. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Other than, all I can say is, it's better now than it was. In the beginning, it felt like, you know, if you put your hand to a friend's hand and then you do the where you rub your fin- like the fingers dead man the dead man yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's kind of how it felt like I could feel that I was feeling it but from the breast side it couldn't feel that I was it's there numb, yeah. yeah it felt very numb and that was a little um awkward mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. especially especially in the role of intimacy which mm-hmm. I know is a big topic for a lot of people too like that would always for me it would it would trigger me to go, I am not who I was before. Mm. Like, look what cancer has taken away mm-hmm. from me. And so, you know, that was just something that we had we had to talk and, and work through. And when I talked to Brian, I think that as far as intimacy goes, it was a bigger deal for me in my mind than it was for him. Mm-hmm. Like he just had this completely and he was very patient and compassionate with me and I was more of the emotional Mess having mm-hmm. to learn to be okay that my body was now completely different. The way that it used to function, it's it's gone. Like something new has to be figured out. In, in regards to in, intimacy, what would you like other women to know here? Who, I mean, communication is definitely everything. Like you said, and I will say, I have a whole new appreciation. For my husband a whole new level of love for him and and I feel a whole new deeper level of love from him than ever before so you mentioned nipples let's let's talk about nipples just for a second right, right? so when we were making all of our decisions about the specifics of surgery and I talked to you right. about this. Nipples were a thing. We have never said that word so many times. Right. I wish we had a word counter. Um, <laughs> but I was told by uh, the first surgeon that I saw, and I ended up switching surgeons before the actual surgery. But the first surgeon I saw um, mentioned that she thought that a nipple sparing procedure would be an option for me. And being that my main symptom was bloody discharge out of one of them I was a little uncomfortable with that right um and you know from the get-go Jake and I were both double mastectomy like we know what we're getting into we assumed nipples gone like it was fine we had made our peace until she said that and then in her office all of a sudden Jake's like whoa 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 we don't have to get rid of them right (laughs) and it was like this whole all of a sudden he was like catching up emotionally like he hadn't really processed all the way right Right. all of these things and so um that was like a a big deal you know of like okay what are we going to do because it didn't make sense to me logically that that would be a risk worth taking given my main symptom right so that's the point at which we did seek a second opinion and the second opinion without me even asking like we were careful not to share anything we just wanted to see what she would say first and she on her own said this is my recommendation, and I don't think nipple sparing is an option for you, given your, your symptom and your and history. And that just gave you that peace of mind. That gave me you... the peace of mind. That gave Jake the peace of mind, right? right? So we had had some tension, honestly, about that. Like, because he was, hey, like, do, whoa, back up. Like, how do we get here? Right. Do you know? And I was like, boom, 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 making decisions. Like, it's in my body. Get it get out. out. Get it mm-hmm. out now. I have the knife. Here you go. 
And so that was all he needed to hear. And I remember she left the room. And this is another one of those little moments that I, I kind of treasure in the midst of it. She left the room and she had given us a lot of paperwork and diagrams. And there was a diagram of, you know, breasts and they had right. little nipples, just a little whatever. I don't even know what the purpose was. And he started drawing all over it saying, real women don't have nipples and oh. ew. And he called them hanging chads and who oh. wants that? And like, <laughs> it was just, it was so sweet yeah. to like... He was on board. He was he was on board, and we were going to do whatever we needed to do. And he was a thousand percent there to keep me healthy, to keep me safe, to get this out and behind us. That's one thing that Brian kept saying to me when I would have my emotional moment. He would tell me, "But I fell in love with you, mm-hmm. all of you, mm-hmm. not just this one part of you. I love you, and we need to protect you." Yes. Yep. And so um, again, I feel like it's made us closer now. Like the actual. Yeah. Uh, mechanics of intimacy have definitely been, you know, a, a bit of a roller coaster right. ride since our diagnosis. Right. Because, um, of course, there's a lot of emotions at play. And as there women, yeah. in that area, there's emotions at play, you know, right. all, these, oh, all yeah. these things. It's it's definitely an emotional roller coaster there. Because you do, I, I mean, even like I look at my scars and mm-hmm. they don't, they don't really bother me mm-hmm. that much. Like I'm, I'm one that I, I kind of love my new boobs. Like, they're never going to set. Right? They glow in the dark. Did you know that? You told me that. I've yet to try it. I oh need God, to. It's on it. my yes. list. <laughs> yes. It's freaking amazing. But anyway, like, there's so many reasons why I love them. Bonus cancer in them, right? Right, that. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but all that being said, I still experience a sense of grief, mm-hmm. a sense of loss, that part of me is gone. You know, we identify with our breasts. Like, you know, wait your whole adolescent life, you know, yeah. to grow them. And then you get them and then they served me well for so much. They, they breastfed my children. Like, yeah. they have been a part of me and a part of my femininity. And when they are gone, it's just, well, who am I now? What mm-hmm. am I now? You know, like, it's it was definitely this moment of grief that had to happen. Mm-hmm. And so the first... Getting real here. Those first, those first couple of times that we were intimate post surgery, it was more about mechanics and trying to mm-hmm. figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. And it wasn't, it wasn't really romantic. Sparks flying, but the romance was in, and I, you kind of touched on this a second ago. That when you fell into a deeper love mm-hmm. and that you could recognize that. That was all stuff that was happening outside of that intimate moment. Mm-hmm. Was knowing that he loves me in sickness yes. and in health. Like he's there. He's my rock. And together we're going to work through and figure this out. Mm-hmm. And even though it was awkward and there were some roller coaster highs and lows. Because we talked. Because we were together. Because we worked on it as a couple like it's it's great I mean it's good now (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I think for us the hardest part honestly was post-diagnosis pre-surgery so it was about two months between hey this mammogram is suspicious prepare yourself it doesn't look good and the surgery that's that's it's a long two months mentally and that's where the the intimacy during that was hard for me that was going through the motions but like that's when I was grieving everything yeah I was grieving the like this is never gonna be the same and is this the last time 
Yeah. Well, I still have nipples, you know, I just know. all these yeah. things, like, yeah. you know, just grieving, like, life is never going to be the same. So that's when I grieved the loss was before the loss even actually happened. Right, right. I was I was grieving the emotions I expected to have on the other side. But then post-surgery, it really hasn't been emotional yeah. for, for me. Yeah. And everyone's different, you right. know. Right, everybody's um, different. But what is to be expected is that there is going to be this element of new normal. Yeah. Whenever that hits, there is a new normal and there there's going to be a moment wherever and however it hits you that you just need to communicate yeah. with one another. Yep. That intimacy will grow and be stronger when you connect. Mm-hmm. And and that happens when you communicate and that happens in all the other stuff that's going on outside of of that moment mm-hmm. because I knew he was there for me. Like he, you mentioned that Jake stepped it up and took care of your drains. When Brian did the same, it's like all of those little things like that. Like I knew that he loved me, Mm -hmm. all of me. Mm -hmm. So jumping right on out of that topic and onto another, (laughs) another one. Talking about fear and faith. We had a really good heart-to-heart on this one mm-hmm. because I had been talking, I know that you and I have talked about this before, how emotions, that emotional healing is just as much a part of this process as the physical healing is. And I've been trying, I've been on this mission to try to spread that word to as many people so that they don't feel alone, so that mm-hmm. they know that it too is a thing. And I had done a presentation and I was getting a lot of, oh, me too. I thought I was the only one. I thought, no, you're not. This is normal. And then I went and I did a presentation where one response was not anything that I was expecting. And hindsight, I kind of have a better idea about it. But at first, like when I'm having this presentation, my vulnerability is out there on the line, admitting mm-hmm. to the world that I don't always have my shit together is kind of a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. And um, but that there I am, and I'm giving this presentation, and when and I drew on the emotion fear because that's the one that I knew. And when I drew it on at the end, one woman that was there had said that she didn't relate at all to what I was saying because. Quote, she said, where there was fear, there was no God. And I wrote about this, I wrote about this afterwards, and I'll just share this uh, quick little excerpt of what I wrote. I said, in response to her telling me that, I was thinking, I said, fear and faith can't coexist. Joyce, you admitted that you have fear, ergo, you must not have faith. More tears, more shame, more reason for people to hush their true emotions and deny their existence at all. That can't be right, can it? Since I haven't studied theology, and I know that I'm not even close to being a qualified professional at interpreting scripture, I did the best that I could. I first turned to Google to search for scripture about fear. What did it say? And here's a few of what I found. John 4.18 said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Corinthians 16.13 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Psalm 18.2 said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. And when I read over those, I heard faith. I heard love. I heard a father calming his children. And I heard that I was not perfect, but that he was still my rock. But I'm a perfectionist. And after I heard that, 
fear and faith can't coexist. It slammed me and my vulnerability to the floor. And I called you and I had to, I had to preface this by saying, I'm really emotional right now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So if I cry, <laughs> that vulnerability is right on out there on the short sleeve still. Uh-huh. And I really liked your response. What, share with us what you told me. Well, my initial response was, I'm so glad you called right. because I have, I've been here. I have the same struggle. I do have faith. I have struggled a lot with fear and anxiety like I've shared. Um, and I've, I've heard something similar about them not being able to coexist. And so... I immediately knew we we were meant to have this conversation, right? Like we were meant to connect at that moment. And um, I had already reflected a lot on essentially that sentiment on my own. And since we had the conversation, I've continued, right? Like I've continued to kind of wrestle through this and try to figure this out. And you know what I kind of landed on is that while and what someone shared with me when I shared that with them trying to get their opinion, they said, okay, but Jenny... Of course they coexist. That's why that's what makes us human. That that's that's why that's our humanity. Like the struggle is there because we are human and that's you know, the Bible refers to it as, as the flesh, right? It's like it's the, the physical, earthly humanness, the flesh, versus the faith and the spirit and, and what will one day be perfected, but it hasn't been while we're still here. Right. And so I kind of, in my mind, almost see it as like a sliding scale. It's yeah. not that they can't coexist, but almost like, you know, where, where one is greater, the other maybe needs to increase and, and vice versa. Right. So like when I'm 100% consumed by fear, maybe there's an opportunity to lean into my faith. And the more I lean into faith, uh, my faith, you know, the fear uh, kind of gets put back in its proper place. But like we talked about, there, there's good fear right. <laughs> also. Right. And so, you know, one of the thoughts I've had since we talked is, okay, addictions, right? So heroin, bad, always bad. Well, what do you do with a food addiction? You, you need a certain amount of food to survive. So you can't just put it all away, right? It's, right. it's not as cut and dry. And so sometimes I think that's how fear is too, right? That's like, a good analogy. Wouldn't it be so fantastic to say that's bad, put it away, like right. never, don't touch the stuff. But but we were created with a certain amount of it being instinct to keep us right. safe. And you wrote about that. Right. And so... Do you run from the wild animal? Right. Or do you turn and fight from it? Right. Do you catch the ball that's getting thrown from you or not? Like... Right. Yes. The whole... the fight or flight like this is this is built into us and and that's that's good and that's by design and so again of co- of course they are going to coexist right and i think even of jesus the night before he went on the cross and the, the agony the extreme agony he felt when he was praying in the garden of gethsemane that was the thing i shared with you on the phone that came to mind first was okay wait but he you know he's god but he was also human and in his huma- humanity he felt the extreme anguish um, that i think that we've had a taste of with cancer and with right. surgery and with the emotions afterwards right and then i think of um the story in the bible of peter and i know that we've talked about uh, the storm analogy and uh your website together we weather the storm and when the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the night and there was a storm and they see Jesus walking on water Peter says Lord if it's you command me to get out and walk on the water and he does and Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the water 
And when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he starts to sink. And you know, I've heard so many messages about this, about, oh, he took his eyes off of Jesus and then he sank. And so the implication there is his faith faltered because of the fear or whatever. But what did Jesus do? He didn't let him sink. He physically reached out his hand and he pulled him right back up. And also, Peter was the only one that got out of the boat, right? right? So how much faith did did that did that take to even right. be the one to get out of the boat? Do right. you know what I mean? And yeah. so when I was younger, I always kind of thought, "Oh, you have little faith." But now as a parent, I think it's it's more Oh, you have little faith. You didn't have anything to be afraid of. It's okay. I love and that I, you wrote that when I when I had made some kind of post yes. or comment, and you put it in terms of your kids, and I love that. Yes, when 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 my daughter, when my five year old Ivy is afraid at night of the dark or of being alone or whatever it is that she's afraid of, I'm not angry at her for being afraid. I'm reassuring her, honey, it's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. I've got you. I'm right here. You can come get me whenever. I'm not angry at her. She's no less my daughter than ever before. Do you know? Right. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And I love, I love that analogy right there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I know that we've talked about this before too, but after treatment, oftentimes I mean, I had I had surgery, and then I had to have chemo and radiation and blah, 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 blah. But when I'm done with all that, eventually they had to put me on medicine. And I know that they're talking about putting you on a similar medicine, but different because of I had to have a hysterectomy, so they're putting me on a, on a different one. The idea is the same. It's, to, it's a hormone inhibitor. Like, it's supposed to make it so that those hormones that fed our cancer, that they're not there, so there's no food for you. You cannot grow, mm-hmm. right? So the idea is good. But I know that you've talked about how you were nervous about taking that, and I can totally relate because after my chemo, like clockwork, after every round of chemo, I would experience this really bad emotional pit, this huge low. And it wasn't something that I could just will myself out of. I couldn't say, be positive and tuck it away. Mm-hmm. It consumed me. And I felt like I didn't even have control over those moments. That there wasn't really much that I could do to escape it. And and that was terrifying. So knowing that that, that happened to me mm-hmm. when I was told, okay, you're going to have a hysterectomy and this can also cause depression. And then you're going to take this medicine and it can cause depression. I was so scared that that would sink me into a hole that was permanent that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to get out of. And I know that you, I know that you mentioned that you were afraid of taking that, that medicine as well. Tell me about how that's affecting you. Yeah. So let me fill everyone in on where I am with my treatment. I'm Post-surgery, I've had reconstruction because he was able to do the implants immediately after or during the mastectomy surgery. I am still awaiting an answer on whether or not I need radiation. I found out I do not need chemo because the tumor size was small enough and I was lymph node negative. So no chemo. (laughs) Yes, I I do need to stop and celebrate that huge, and I have been. Actually, I have a hair appointment because I was delaying that, and yeah. now that I get to keep it, I decided it's time for a summer. <laughs> Still waiting to hear about radiation, and the oncologist did say I will need to take tamoxifen, which I'm, I have been very nervous about, but she did ease a lot of my fears. So I haven't started it yet. I've actually picked up the prescription. I have the pills. 
but we have to nail down the radiation because if I'm going to do radiation, I will start the tamoxifen once that's completed. If I don't need radiation, I will start now. Because I was nervous specifically about the depression piece, I asked her if I could just wait till I'm cleared to exercise to start taking it to help kind of counteract Right, that. Right. And she said yes. Um, and today, actually, right before coming here, was my first time going back to the YMCA. So Yay. that was huge. I obviously didn't hit it like I used to, but well, any... <laughs> it's going to take time building it up, but yes. it, it does happen. Like, yes. you get out of surgery, we've already talked about how physically slow that mm-hmm. is, and then you get the AOK that you can exercise. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to be able to jump right into where you left off. It's right. going to take its own level of building up, but it happens. Yes. Side note, something you um, said to me was really helpful post-surgery, and that was... You know, you'll get there, you'll be able to exercise, but you need to change, lower the bar, like drastically. Exercising might be doing your breathing exercise that they send you home with from the hospital. Exercising might be walking around your living room. And so I I really took that to heart and that was extremely helpful post-surgery. Once once I got those first three days under my belt, I did, I took that seriously. Um, It was, okay, how many times can I walk around my couch right now? Right. And then I worked up to the backyard and then it was a couple laps around the backyard. And you know, all this over weeks, right. but it still gave me some sense of control of I am doing what I can physically to be healthy because that was important to me before surgery. Right. Um, and so I felt like I still had that. It just looked drastically different. Right. Anyway, I wanted to share that because that was helpful. Right. And then now, same same thing. It's just mm-hmm. exercise is out further from the immediate yes. surgery, but now you have to slowly build yourself right. up I'm, again. I'm still not, just because I'm back at the gym doesn't mean I'm doing what I did at the gym before. But it's right. still baby steps. It's a step in the right direction. It's progress. And so I try to celebrate every little That's step right. and every little notch of progress. That's right. Um, back to the tamoxifen thing. So I haven't started taking it yet, but you know, one thing when you were sharing those feelings you had after chemo, I know, I know those feelings. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because of what I went through two years ago with the anxiety crisis. And that is something that unless you have gone through that and experienced it, you, you just can't imagine. I remember saying something similar of, what I was going through, it just felt so chemical and hormonal and outside of my control. Right. There, it wasn't. It wasn't a problem with thoughts so much. Yes. It wasn't like a thought process leading to these feelings. It was this all-consuming, unexplainable. I didn't have thoughts associated with it. Feeling it felt yes. so chemical, and I couldn't. You explained that very well right there. <laughs> But that's it, yes. And and it's terrifying because it's like, well, I don't know what to do different because I can't just snap my finger and adjust my hormones. That being said, there are some things you can do because it is chemical, right? So it it's there's your mind and there's your brain, and your brain does have all these different chemicals and hormones and all of this. And we can um, not necessarily magically control it. And those do obviously influence our moods and our feelings and all of this. But we can we can do certain things to influence it, right? So exercise, right? It does help those brain chemicals and yep. contribute to the 
positive, the happy hormones, right? right? And all of these things. And um, there's um, a girl, I think that I have this on my website too. She talks about neurogenesis. Yes. And she has, did you watch that on the? That's something that is on my radar. I think I watched it, but I need to watch it again. Yes. And she like basically like through science, she did this, she did the TED talk. She's the expert, not I. But what I walked away with this, it was a list of Mm -hmm. things that I could do that would promote neurogenesis, which would help me with that and neurogenesis basically uh, rewiring your brain right like healthy brain growth so it used to experts used to think that like once you killed your brain cells that was it you lost them they were gone well neurogenesis no our our brain can heal itself in a great way we can help encourage that new growth and influence that in in a really positive way it's not without work It, it doesn't just happen it takes a lot of intentionality right but there are things we can control and help influence that. And that's what we have to focus on, are the yes. things that we can control. Yes. I do want to point out here at this point in time, too, that you shared with me recently, a it was a sermon that was that was uploaded online, mm-hmm. and in talking about the emotions and that dark pit, he was able to relate and come out and say, I get this, too. Mm-hmm. I have been in that emotional low. So he was able to relate and come out and actually say, I get it, I've been here. But then in regards to that pit, he said, it's not a pit, it's actually a tunnel and that mm-hmm. there is light on the other side. Even if it feels like a very squashy tunnel and that you don't see the light on the other side, it is a tunnel mm-hmm. and you will get through it. And, and you have to keep walking until you're through to the other side. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I just love, I love that because I experienced Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I had that low and did not think I was going to get out I was afraid that I wouldn't get out on top of all the other stuff that I was afraid of (laughs) right right not to mention cancer right right. (laughs) yeah exactly but Uh knowing that I wasn't stuck in there I just Mm -hmm. had to as you said keep moving forward yeah and I would get out and I did and then he also said too that Surprise, surprise, there will be gifts along the way. Mm-hmm. Who thinks there's going to be gifts when you're down there in this terrible, dark, what seems like a pit? But it's not a pit, it's a tunnel, and there are indeed gifts mm-hmm. that have come along the way. I I can speak from experience. I, I could point them out, too. Like, mm-hmm. very, very true. Mm-hmm. I know that you and I also talked about how we were afraid of those moments coming and taking over of uh, taking over our mind in some way mm-hmm. or another and one piece of advice that I was given by my therapist and I passed along to you was to use the moments of clarity mm-hmm. to throw a message in a figurative volatile into the ocean for future you to find mm-hmm. and in a previous episode I shared that I wrote myself a letter which proved so helpful when I got down there again Mm -hmm. and I would read back over that letter and I would think oh but but and then the next line would say exactly what I needed to hear because it's coming from me in a moment of clarity in a moment of clarity exactly so it was very very helpful and I know I told you about this and you did something what did what did you do I did so literally I mean The next moment after you made that suggestion, I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And I pulled out my phone and I just video recorded myself, right? It it happened to be quiet time in our house, which meant the girls were occupied on their own with their books. And I had a quiet moment and I just spoke to myself in that on my phone so that it's Right. right there and I can pull it out the next time I felt like I needed 
that truth, right? right? That truth spoken. I know what I was going to say earlier, and you know, too. You know what you're talking about, too, in that moment, because it's not coming from somebody else that, oh, they don't get it. It's coming from you. You do right. get it. I, I, absolutely. Right. I have lived this before. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something so important to remember. One of the things I struggle with, whether it's anxiety, bits of depression, whatever, those extreme emotions that feel outside of my rational thinking or control, when I'm in them, I can't remember what normal feels like. It doesn't matter even if I'm only in them for a day. I can't imagine that I will ever feel normal and good again, right? It's just like all consuming. But when I'm in a moment of clarity, I can't imagine like why why would what was that and I don't even remember I know rationally in my mind that I felt really low but gosh I can't remember what that feels like now and I'm talking from one day to the next I mean like pretty close in time like I just can't see the other one when I'm in one or the other and so doing that in a moment of clarity right just makes so much sense and and it reminds me too that like okay I've done this before. Right. I've walked through a lot of tunnels and I do always come out on the other side. And so that's what I said to myself in in my little video is, you've done this before. Just let time pass. And right. and that's what counseling really helped me do a couple of years ago and, and has been very beneficial now is so much of managing anxiety for me is learning how to sit in the uncomfortableness. Yes. Yeah, we talked about until that. Until time passes. And that's hard to do. It is. It is. But I try to just keep telling myself, just let the moments pass. Do what you can now. Like, try to be present. Try to stay focused. Try to breathe. The breathing is a huge thing. I I mean that very literally and figuratively. And just let the time pass because sometimes that's all that it takes for things to recalibrate and to kind of come out of that fog and for those clouds to part, you know? And I know that's really hard for me too because I don't like time in those moments. Mm -hmm. I want to fix it now. Darn Mm -hmm. it, why can't I fix it now? But And then taking a moment, like you said, allowing yourself to sit with it and recognizing that you don't necessarily have to have all the answers figured out. You don't have to know how to move forward and solve your problem. You just need to believe that it'll pass. Right. And it'll pass. And it always does. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that I can see this in you, and I have told you this before. Despite your anxiety, despite your fear, sadness, grief, no matter the falls that you've had or that you may still have yet to have, because we're all on this journey of life, we're all going to fall again mm-hmm. at some point in time or another, I know that there is, there's a fighter in you, both for yourself and your family, mm-hmm. but then also for this greater good about bringing about something better for the world for that next uh, you know set of women that are having to go through this mm-hmm. and there's just no there's no doubt in my mind that that you're going to do that so piggybacking on this what's one thing that you would want our babies to know as mm-hmm. they grow into young women honestly my my one thing and I've shared this with you. This has been my mantra through this all. And it is a verse I found, um, I mean, literally days before my diagnosis, I came across this reading and it's Micah 7, 8. And it says, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And you know, that stuck out to me because I've fallen a lot with the anxiety. But then, of course, with cancer now, with this being a part of my story, that adds a whole different element, right. you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's a whole different dynamic and dimension 
that wasn't there prior. And so I, I have clung to that truth throughout this is I'm going to have bad days. I am human. I'm going to struggle with it all. I'm there are going to be tears until the day I die. Right. There there are. There are going to be tears. There are going to be these moments. There are going to be these tunnels, but that's not the end of the story. Exactly. Um, I will always be able to get back up again. And and the second part of that, the the thing for me, you know that faith is important for me. And so when I do sit in those moments of darkness because I will I have a source of hope right. to, to get me through until I'm out on the other side of that. And ultimately, that's something that I hope I am able to pass on to my girls and that they pick up on because I can't imagine going through anything in life. I mean, whether it's cancer, divorce, bankruptcy, whatever, without hope and light. Do you know, it's, right. it's kind of the thing that keeps you going. Right. Um, yes, exactly. That's I what I want that. them to see and know and take. Yeah, I know you shared that verse with me too, and I really, I really do like that one as well. And and letting letting our kids know that you're not immune from the falls. Right. We want. I know. I want to protect my children from any and all heartache that I possibly could. I remember when I held them for the first time in my arms. I thought, well, now they're finally here. I can shield them from the world around them. Oh, right. But I can't. Right. Like I can't stop life from happening to mm-hmm. them, good or bad. Like it's it's part of it. Mm-hmm. But we can try to teach them that resiliency. We can yes. teach them that you're going to fall. You're going to bleed. Things are going to hurt. Yep. But we get back up again. And, and I love that thing about the, the tunnel. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, what then would you like those diagnosed tomorrow to walk away with from this episode? So something that occurred to me early on when I first got the diagnosis that really encouraged me was that I'm not the first one to go through this. And I'm not the only one going through this. And talking to you really helped me with that to see specifically um, to another young mother. So it's hard for anyone, but there are fewer women our age going through it than than older. It's, It's a little more rare for us. And so just to know that even in light of that, I'm not the first one, I'm not the only one. And seeing someone who has come out of that tunnel on the other side, and sure there's still highs and lows and days and all of this, but just to see that that there was another side to this that gave me hope also those became my lighthouses they did the same for me and that is what sparked this whole lighthouse image in my mind was knowing that Mm -hmm. there was this light off in the distance Mm -hmm. there was a hope knowing that I wasn't alone that that I could weather my storm Mm -hmm. can make it through Mm -hmm. and that there are people out there that that do understand that have been here that have gone before and everyone's story is so different but again just knowing there are actually so many stories out there do you know I don't I don't have to do this alone I don't have to figure it out I don't have to recreate the wheel I don't have to chart my own course like I just need to walk forward and, and reach out and not not be afraid to reach out that's the other thing is that we're not alone unless we choose to be alone and, right. and so I would encourage anyone who's listening, don't don't make that choice because right. it's so freeing. Whether you're reaching out for help from a friend, from a family member, from a counselor, for any, anything, just don't be content to do this alone or don't feel like you have to. Don't put that on yourself. Right. When you, when you speak up and you admit, I'm dealing with whatever it is that you're going through, 
that vulnerability creates connection. And I know mm-hmm. that firsthand I have experienced that. Brene Brown, she's got some great books out there about this too. Mm-hmm. But firsthand I have experienced that and I have seen that in others as well. And that is, that's, you know, kind of my mission right now is, is making sure that, that people know basically what you said and then also taking that to that emotional element too mm-hmm. and, and recognizing mm-hmm. that this is a piece of it and when you experience that, you're not in it alone either. And that's the piece that's harder to talk about. Everyone expects you to talk about the fact that you have cancer. Like, people are eager and willing to help. Like, that's that's a scary thing. And anyone can understand how hard that would be, right? Mm -hmm. It's that emotional piece that's a a little bit more difficult. It's a little harder to understand for someone who hasn't been through it. But again, even with that piece, you're not the first and you're not the only. That's right. Um, So find... Find your people. Find your people. <laughs> Find your people. Get your girl talk. Yes. Well, before we close up, um, you also have a blog as mm-hmm. well. And you have written some really great articles that kind of touch at the heart of some of the things that people could relate to. What is what is the website if people wanted to be able to check that out? Where can they go? So, yes, it's called alongtheroadhomeschool.blogspot.com. And the reason why is I actually started it three years ago when we chose the path of homeschooling our girls and I wanted to document you know kind of some fun things and the field trips and all of this and you know it got it got real right (laughs) and you know that's one of the things with homeschooling that people say like oh you know you're just shielding them they're in a bubble nope nope we're dealing with real life and there is a lot less on there about homeschooling and a lot more about all the things we've talked about because these are actually the lessons that I hope stick with them. They're going to learn to read. They're going to learn their math and multiplication and all that. But there's going to be deeper stuff like this right. that I do want to share with my girls like we talked about. Right, um, exactly. And so yes, that's why the name is that. But. Right, right. <laughs> so y'all listening, you can check her out. Jenny, that's her, that's her blog site. And we are so happy that you were here to join us today. Thank, Thank you. you for taking the time. And I think that this is going to help a lot of a lot of women that don't necessarily have that that girl talk available to them right there. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for being that rock for me throughout my whole journey so far. I can't imagine having to do it without that support. Yes. No problem. Well, it's a it's a two-way street. I know you've <laughs> picked me off the, up off the floor as well. So, thank you. And thank you to all y'all at home listening to our episode on girl talk. I hope that you found it to be helpful. For more information, of course, check out our website at www.togetherweweather.org. I'm looking forward to speaking with you all again soon. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.